Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning there, can anybody tell me what happened on December the 8th, 1941? December the 8th, 1941. Kenneth, was you around then? No. (laughs) Nope, not Pearl Harbor, but you're close. Nope. Declared war. The United States declared war on Japan. And the reason that they declared war on Japan on December the 8th, 1941, because Pearl Harbor was attacked the day before on December 7th, 1941, 3,000, nearly 3,000 dead, 1,000 wounded, probably one of the most devastating attacks on the United States prior to uh, 9-11, where about the same number of people were killed when terrorists flew through our buildings. <clears throat> you know, and the thing that I, when I was looking at that, because it goes along with my message this week on spiritual warfare, when I was reading about um, Pearl Harbor this week, there had actually been about two years of intense conflict and war going on all over uh, the world. Nazi Germany was just building steam and <clears throat> along with Japan and, and some others that was involved in that. And the whole time America basically was trying to ignore uh, and avoid, you know, that kind of stuff and, and remain neutral. And in doing so, uh, we put ourselves open to an attack because here's the thing, there are, there are situations in warfare that you cannot just remain neutral. When you, when you look at God's Word and you study spiritual warfare, you, 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 if you are a true born again believer and you know Jesus is your Savior, make no mistake, you cannot just remain neutral. You might think you can, and you might think that it doesn't have anything to do with you because maybe you, you're not involved in a ministry or that you don't have a title or you don't hold a position as far as in a church. But, but holding a position in a church or having a ministry with a title to it has nothing to do with Christianity altogether and whether or not you're, you're a target of the devil. You understand that? And so when you look in, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, a couple of weeks ago I covered the first couple of verses here. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, that word means trickery, deceitfulness of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now you'll, you'll notice there's a comma. For a lot of people who are believers and a lot of people in churches all over this nation today, we could stop right there and it would apply to their lives. We do not wrestle. If you just said we do not wrestle, Because there's a lot of people who are uninvolved in spiritual warfare as far as taking part in it, uninvolved in in the kingdom work of Christ. Uh, They're happy with just trying to, you know, being saved and and, uh, just, you know, doing as little as possible. I actually was looking at some stats this week that was actually from 2016. And so it's probably a little bit different, you know, three years later. But in 2016... There was a statistics that said uh, 37% of people uh, see the Bible as relevant in their life. And then I was looking at some church stats, and church stats said 34% of uh, believers who are in the church read their Bible at least once a week. That's 34%. 
That means what? 66% never crack it open. And then another uh, statistic was 18% of the people who are in church every Sunday are actually involved in some type of ministry, the work of the Lord. And when I say that, I'm not saying that has anything to do with what you do on a Sunday if you're a Sunday school teacher or Wednesday night. I'm talking about each and every day that you're involved in some type of uh, work, serving the Lord, reaching out to people, no matter what that is, there's a lot of things that you can be involved in, but only 18% of believers are involved in anything to do with the work of the Lord, and we wonder why that we could go through all kind of other stats, I won't for time's sake, but we wonder why, you know, that divorce is rampant, homosexuality is rampant, that drug addictions and alcohol addictions and and abuse, and we could go on and on with all the things that plague the media every day, that are in and around our lives every day, and we continue to acknowledge, wow, it's getting really bad and it's dark, but only 18% of people are doing anything about it. That means if there's 200 people in our church on a Sunday, if we're the average church, what would that be? 36 people are involved and the others are just soaking up the air conditioning. You know, with me. <laughs> You know, and, and again, if this applies to you, let it apply. If it doesn't, you know, don't get all defensive and go, well, I am involved. You don't know. I don't I don't need to know. It's not about what I know. It's about are you doing something for the cause of the Lord and for the sake of the people's lives that we're surrounded by and standing for righteousness? Because here's the thing. One of the most dangerous attitudes to take towards spiritual warfare is to either avoid it or ignore it like it really isn't going on or that it really doesn't involve you. When you read in the book of Revelation in the first three chapters, actually in chapter 2 and 3, <clears throat> John is writing to seven different churches. There's the last church in chapter 3, I think it's first, starts about 14 or 15, is the church of Laodicea. It not only represents a local church, but it represents a, 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 basically a period in, the, in time of church history. I believe we're in that time right now. And so when he addresses the Laodicean church, their whole attitude was an attitude of they were unconcerned with any conditions of anybody outside of their church. You know, they said, you know, we're, we're, we're rich and we're, we have need of nothing. Basically, everything's good with us. They, they, you know, the Lord said, you're neither hot or cold, but you're like lukewarm water. Makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. Because of their attitude was like, in our little circle, everything is good. And we, notice their focus, we don't need anything. And basically what they were saying is, Lord, we don't even need you. Because if you keep reading, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What door is he talking about? The church door. He's not talking about the door of your heart. He's talking to the church there. And he said, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open up, I will come in and fellowship or sup with him and he with me. He was outside of the church. And, and, and yet today we have people, and, and whether, it's, whether it's, you know, in a, in a family or in a, as an individual or as a church, who, who have a mentality of living in what I would call an isolated utopia. It's like, well, as long as I have my life, everything's good. You know, I've got my salvation. I've got my, my job. I've got my, you know, this going on. Everything's good here. I don't have time to think about anybody else. No, that's their trouble. Or you have people who are just consumed by their own family. And I think you should absolutely minister to your family. And your family is, 
is your first ministry, but it's not your only ministry. And if your whole focus is, if I can just, you know, keep my family together, my marriage is good, and my kids are good, and we're good, and we take our trips, and we do our things, and, and you know, we've got our stuff, and we've got security, and we're settled, and all that. So everything in our little Christian world is great. And then you can even look at churches today. There are churches who, all they do is they look at their church, and as long as everything's good in their church, they're not concerned about the world. There's a lot of, I'm probably going to probably hear about this. But we're in an association, I guess, this, you know, ABA, the American Baptist Association. There are a lot of churches in our association that their only concern is their church and that they that they don't have anything to do with any other kind of church whatsoever and that we make sure our church is good. And there's a lot of them that don't even concern themselves about lost people, the condition of the world around them, people who are hurting drug addictions, alcohol, abuse, you know, any and every kind of darkness that's going on. As long as everything in the church is good, then we're good. And it's like having an isolated utopia to where we go, you know, Lord, we're, we're rich, we're good, the bank account's great, we're in need of nothing, you know, the building's full, everybody's dressed right, we're preaching out of the right version of the Bible, you know, and we're not in fellowship with anybody who might think, one iota off of our doctrine and so we're all good and you're pleased and God's like makes me want to vomit makes me want to throw up because you're not there because here's what happens when you take on that mentality you you totally miss the message of the cross the cross was an invasion into darkness Jesus came and he said I am the light of the world and light came and the darkness hated the light when Christ came you know he could have took on that mentality he could have said you know what I know the world's falling apart. Their own choice, their bed, you know, sleep in it. You know, I, I, my heaven is good. I've got angels surrounding me, worshiping me. They're singing to me. They can't, they're so excited about me, they can't, can't stop shouting to my glory. Everything here is good. Why in the world would I want to take on the form of human flesh, become a man, live a pauper's life, not have a place to sleep? Half the time I don't have food to eat. Most people there are mocking me, despising me, rejecting me. I'm a man of sorrows, yet I'm willing to go to the, the sinners of the world who despise and hate me and take a beating from them in order to give them an opportunity to receive grace. And yet, for some reason, along the way, we've taken the message of the church and we're like, well, as long as everything in the church is good and we show up on Sunday, and especially if we just get carried away and fanatical and come on Sunday night, then surely everything in our life is good and the church is good and God is happy. You know, America was more concerned about the Great Depression and the cost of war than they were what was going on around them. And here's the thing. The whole time that they were focused on that, the Japanese were strategically planning and practicing for an attack. I want you to understand this this morning. As a believer, and I'm talking to believers this morning, followers of Jesus, if you're here and you've got the isolated utopia mentality where it's all about your little world and, and you just want to build a fence around you and as long as everything there is good in your world, it's not your concern about lost people. It's not your concern to get involved with, you know, all these people that have all these troubles and all these problems, you know, and all you do is point it out and, you know, complain about it and voice the, the, the condition of it and you think that you're going to avoid it, my friend, you will have your day at Pearl Harbor. You will have your day because the devil is strategically planning and ready to attack you. In one moment, in one split second, when you didn't think it was going to happen to you, that you could ignore it and avoid it. And you're like, well, you know, I go to church. I don't get into all that spiritual stuff. And just because I'm not involved, therefore I'm exempt. Nobody is exempt. 
And I've talked to so many people who are so uninvolved and, and, and they think that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't read the Bible a whole lot and I, you know, I'm just expecting you and other, other teachers and other pastors to take care of that for my kids and, and for my marriage. And the next thing you know, the marriage is flushed down the toilet and the kids are out doing who knows what and your life is falling apart. And you're like, how did this happen? And I hear this excuse. I'm like, how did this happen? I go to church all the time. I'm like, what? I mean, what are we thinking? Do we think this spiritual warfare, do we think that Paul wrote this because he had a couple of extra, you know, pieces of paper that he was going to take you to bone, that it's not real, that spiritual warfare is only for spiritual beings? You know, that's for, that's for pastors and missionaries and, and people in third world countries, you know. And, and, you know, I'm in America. I'm more concerned about my Great Depression and the cost of if I did get involved in this. And, you know, and I'm, I haven't been to seminary. And we come up with all these excuses. But understand, all of our excuses and, and, and what we're trying to do is a whole lot like America was, was approaching terrorism. Make no mistake, if you want to see spiritual warfare and what it's like, just look at radical Islam. Because I can tell you who is behind that. Satan himself is the one who is behind that move. And here's the devastating part. When American Christians... American Christianity is so happy with our buildings and our meetings and our numbers and, and our singing and our entertaining and all that kind of stuff. And we think that everything's good. And then we go back to our lives and we think about our, you know, I'm not knocking any of this stuff, okay? I'm not saying it's okay. You know, you should work and have a job and provide for your family. And, and it's okay to take a vacation and go on trips. So don't read anything that I say you should just, you know be at the church house all the time. But what I'm saying is, if you've got all that going and you think that, you know, like America's like, you know, we're good. We're the richest nation in the world and blah, blah, blah. The whole time we've got that mentality, I can tell you what Islamists are doing. They're planning and strategically preparing to attack us again. They have a whole different agenda and thought process. While we walk oblivious to what's going on in and around our lives every day, they are in the shadows and in the darkness, and they are strategically preparing and planning for another attack of which we will be nailed again because of our ignorance and our want to avoid so that we can have the life and the lift lifestyle that we desire that appeals to our flesh. And if you do that with the devil, then I guarantee you the same thing's going to happen. You're going to wake up with an airplane done flew through your building. Y'all wake. <clears throat> I want you to look at this the wording here in verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But here's the thing, we do wrestle. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against a spiritual host or an army of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so what this points out, if you study the original language, is Satan has a very powerful, organized, strategically minded army whose mission is one thing and they're totally focused and given to their mission and that is mass destruction. Whether it's in your life, whether it's in the church, whether it's in this world, whether it's among lost people. And understand this, Satan's army does not get distracted. He's not distracted at all. Now his, the wiles, the trickery is to distract us. You know, one of the greatest things that terrorists want us to do is just totally forget that they're even doing what they're doing. That way they're free to go and free to do and free to prepare and free to plan. 
And, and I'm thankful for the ones, especially in our military, who stand guard for our freedom. Because if it wasn't for them, you know, what would happen is we would be a third world country. And here's the thing. There are people, and I thank God for people in the kingdom who stand watch over God's people. And they stand and watch the truth. And they are involved in the battle through prayer and through God's word and through standing for the truth. But there are a lot of people who are turning a deaf ear to it. And when you turn a deaf ear to it, that's not going to slow the devil down. It's just going to speed the momentum up. And I think for years now, what we're seeing as the result of churches who are gathering together on Sunday in the name of the Lord and departing on Monday and we forget about the Lord is we look up into a nation that once was a light that is consumed darkness now and we continue to have the mentality of meeting in our buildings going through our songs and our service and getting back out to the real world and we are on a downhill man like a snowball you understand what i'm saying it doesn't have to be that way man y'all just quiet this morning so here's where i'm at Are you one of the 36 out of 200 here? We've probably got 100 here this morning. we got 100 here this morning, 18 people on average. Maybe we got more than that, I hope we're above average. But are you one who's involved? I'm not not just talking about in the church and helping. Yeah, great, I hope everybody helps next Sunday. But I'm I'm not just talking about uh, he's, he's up there politicking for somebody to do something. No, I'm just talking about in your family. You battle, husbands, are you battling for your marriage? Or are you fighting in your marriage? Wives, the same question for you. Parents, are you battling for the spiritual future of your kids? Are we as a church involved standing for what we should be standing for? Involved? Are we in the trenches hiding like Israel was? You know, are we like David going out to face the giants? The statistics haven't changed. A majority of Israel was hiding in the trenches, calling themselves soldiers. But when the giant stepped up, they dug down and had a prayer meeting. One man who had a heart for God stood up and walked out and faced the giant, and the giant fell. So the the fact that I look at the condition of our nation now, it's a giant. But all it needs is a few people to go, we believe in the God of Israel. We believe in Jesus Christ. And we believe that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And when people begin to take up the armor of God and to live for God and to see things for what they are rather than just simply voicing it, complaining it, preaching about it, getting more knowledge of it, and Facebooking about it, then we're going to start seeing a change. And we can see a revival in your families, in your homes, in the church, and in the United States of America. But it's going to start in small churches and it's going to start with small people because that's who God uses. Lord's not, Lord's not raising up, you know, pastors of, of 20,000 member churches. And, you know, there's a lot of people who go, oh, you know, that's a great pastor. He's a 20,000 church. He's got a mega church. So we hope he does something. The Lord's never worked that way. He looks through the church and he finds a nobody. And he finds somebody who's very insignificant. And he finds somebody who's, you know, is not, you know, been five degrees and a doctorate in seminary. And he, and he comes to you. And he comes to me because I'm one of those people. And he's like, all right, I want you to make a difference. I want you to stand. He's not calling on you to change the world. He's calling on you to stand where he calls for you to make that stand. And the problem is he's calling. There's a lot of people still sitting. 
A lot of people who do not respond. A lot of people who want to ignore the things that's going on around them. Other than talking about it, we don't want to get involved and get dirty. I don't want the blood of the cross on me. I don't want the spit. I don't want the the, the verbal attacks. I don't want the shame that Jesus bore. I just want to enjoy the grace that He offers through all of His sacrifice. And yet Christianity in essence shows that if we're going to make any difference, we've got to go to war, and war is messy. Now, notice what it says here. Y'all stay with me. I'm going to be done real quick here about two hours. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, we're not called to attack flesh and blood. Our enemy is not physical. And so many times if you face the wrong enemy or you're looking at the wrong enemy, then you use the wrong methods. And if you're looking at somebody else or some other condition, you know, if you're looking at people as the enemy, the way that we respond is we attack back or we hurt. Or we divorce, or we desert, or we abuse, or we avoid, or we hate, or we murder, or we degrade, or we, or we backbite, and we belittle, or we start programs, or we start complaining, or we, we, we rehabilitate, because we think that we somehow can change the situation when we respond and look to other people. Listen to me. When the devil attacks your marriage, if you don't identify who your real enemy is, you're going to attack that other person and you're going to respond in one of these ways or another that's going to end up in a situation where you're divorced or you're departed or you're separated. Kids are going to start facing the outcome of that. You know, you got to look at things from a spiritual point of view if you're going to back in the right way your addiction is not something that you blame on your parents or that you blame on your living conditions or that you blame in the way that you're raised your addiction is just something that is appealing to your sinful flesh that you can only overcome through the power of God's spirit within you and you can overcome any and everything but so many times what we do is we buy into blame somebody else for the life that I've chosen and I want to blame somebody else for the consequences I'm suffering in the choices that I made and I want to try to overcome this in some way of a higher education or more money or, or something that you see other people involve themselves in that has nothing to do with humbling my heart and kneeling to Jesus as my Savior to go you're the Lord, your word is right my way is wrong and I'm going to start obeying and following your ways and not only am I going to withstand but God I'm going to stand for what's right when we start acting that way we see life change and I know in a marriage it takes two people and when the other one doesn't come along you know what you do you still battle for the right way you know the enemy's in the shadows the Bible says here that we are fighting against rulers of darkness of this age Satan attacks God's people. Sometimes we attribute that to the Lord. Revelation chapter, uh, I think it's 2. I was reading last night, one of the churches, I'm kind of going to teach on some of this tonight. But in one of the churches, the Lord's speaking to the church and He said, The devil will cast some of you into prison. doesn't say the Lord's going to put you in prison. It says the devil's going to cast some of God's people into prison. And it says... Be faithful unto death. He didn't didn't even say, hey, I'm going to get you out of prison. I'm going to keep the devil from doing this. He said, you be faithful. He's going to cast you into prison that you might be tested. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. So the devil comes against God's people. 
You can expect it. Don't paint some picture of, isn't, isn't God sovereign? Yes, He is. Well, why isn't God just keeping this from happening? Ask Him when you get there. But the point is, we know that Satan has a certain amount of authority and freedom given to him by God in order that he can bring us into trials and tests and temptations. And that's what he does. He tempts us, he tests us, he attacks us, and according to the book of Zechariah chapter 3, he stands ready to resist. So if you today say, I'm going to make a stand, be ready, because he's ready. He wants you to stand. He's not a coward. When we as Christians step up our intensity of our battle, he's like, good, I'm ready. I never seen anybody in the octagon or in the UFC cage, UFC cage, UFC cage, yeah, who was standing over there and other guys over there praying, oh God, please just get me out of this cage. And, we, and sometimes we think that because we make some bold profession, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer God's calling, I'm going to stand for the Lord, we got this idea that the devil's like, oh no, what am I going to do? He's over there like, I'm ready, come on, I'm ready to resist. And all of a sudden, when we're struck by him, we're like, what in the world's going on? Didn't I make a profession? Didn't I give my life to Jesus? Didn't I surrender to a call? And now all of a sudden, it's getting way more difficult. I talked to a man yesterday, and he's at a place in his life. He's like, my life is on ground level zero. I need to give my life to the Lord. And he's got all these outward conditions going on as the result of some of the choices he made. And in that, in that conversation, I said, I just want to be bluntly honest with you. You give your life to Jesus doesn't mean that everything's going to work out doesn't mean that. Chances are for a while it's going to get a whole lot more difficult. And it's going to snowball on you and you're going to think, what in the world happened? But you continue to be faithful. And you continue to follow the Lord and walk in His ways and God changes your life. He does exactly what He's promised He'll do. He will be our shield and He will fight our battles. The devil works through slander. Just give you this real quick and then I'll finish up. I know I'm running out of time. You know, you look at the media... The devil controls it, tries to influence our thoughts, he tries to influence our attitudes, he works through religions, so many religions in the world that are just straight from the pit, we're surrounded by churches all over, and just because they're a church don't mean they're a church of the Lord. He works through friends, kind of letting you know, because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And you remember Peter was basically Jesus' best friend. And Satan worked through him to try to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Because Jesus said, I'm going to the cross to be crucified. And Peter said, be it far from you, Lord. You're not going to no cross. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You do not desire the things of the Lord. Use his best friend. Don't be surprised when you have people in your life that you're friends with because all of us have times where we're not spiritually strong. And we can be used by the devil to stop what God wants to do in somebody else's life. He uses church members. I hear it all the time. Well, I don't go to your church because you got these people here and I know those people. Well, <laughs> y'all, some of y'all are those people. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. Wasn't Judas in the first church? Thinking if I was the devil and I was going to try to keep God from doing what He wanted to do in somebody's life, I'd park one of my people in the church, act like I was a church member and look like a hypocrite. That way I could discourage everybody else around them. Last time I checked, you ain't here worshiping people. And nobody else here is perfect. And just because a person does stumble don't mean that they're being hypocritical. just means they're probably like me. And you. You understand what I'm saying? They can use your husband or your wife. Some of y'all men like, I understand this perfectly. 
I'm just playing. But you know, when, they, when Satan attacked Job, who gave him the worst counsel? Wife said, curse the Lord and die. You notice when you read the book of Job, you never hear of her again. I don't know what happened to her, but she never spoke again. He can use your children. There's a lot of children who lead their parents away from the Lord. Remember in the book of Genesis, you read about Esau. Esau steadily influencing his father in the wrong direction. Jacob actually influenced his father in a deceitful way. There's people here today, parents who should be leading their children in the way of the Lord. The Bible said, you as a parent train up a child in the way of the Lord. And when they were old, or when they're old, they will not depart from it. Yet we have so many people today that the kids say what they want to do, where they want to go, how they want to do it. And parents drag along like they're, you know, a dog on a leash. And then we wonder why when the kids get older and they don't care anything to do with the Lord, what happened? And the devil can use you and I. Make no mistake, and I've said it a thousand times, don't ever listen to what I've got to say unless it's backed by Scripture. And so here's the last part of this message. I have to cut it short. But notice what it says there in verse 13. Because we wrestle, because we wrestle, it says, Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God. And notice what it says here, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And then it says, and having undone all to stand, verse 14, stand. And so there's two things that you see here. It's talking about, when it talks about take up the whole armor of God, and we'll cover this in weeks to come, that word take up means I've made a choice that I'm going to get involved. A person doesn't take up armor unless they're saying, I'm going to the battlefield. And there's a lot of people who need to make a decision of, are you going to take it up? Because God's provided it for you as a believer. He's given it to you, and it fits your perfect size. But so many of us go, I don't want to get involved, and I don't want to take it up. My life's too busy, and i got too much stuff going on. But for those who do, we're called. Every one of us are called to fight a good fight and to get involved in what's going on in and around our lives. And not only does it say, notice it says, withstand. Spiritual armor is not all defense. The word withstand means that's a defensive stand. That means I'm going to stand against temptation. I'm going to resist what the devil's trying to cause me to do to sin. But then it says, but also to stand. That's offensive. It means I'm going to withstand temptation, but I'm going to stand for righteousness. I'm going to open my mouth and speak. I'm going to get involved and do something. And I'm not talking about standing in front of somewhere with a sign screaming and hollering and looking like an idiot. I'm talking about standing for what's true, even when it doesn't feel good. Even when the people around you in your work environment is not going to like you for your stand, but at least you stood. Standing as a husband for what's right and leading your family, even when it doesn't fit with the wife's attitude. You're called to lead, not her. Understand that. When women want to get mad about that, I'll stand on that all day long. That the husband is called to lead. That you as parents are called to stand. Sometimes your kids, believe it or not, little Johnny is going to make some bad choices. And for the parent who has the attitude of, oh, I just want to be little Johnny's friend. He needs to make his own decisions. So if he wants to go watch, you know, you know, triple R movies, that's little Johnny's choice. And one day he has to decide what he's going to do about his own religion. Man, that's, that's just total stupidity. Write me down, quote me on that. That's absolute stupidity and insanity is what it is. As a parent, you should stand for righteousness. 
And one thing I can say, and I'm bragging on my parents, I guess I am, but I, want to say, I never did go to my mom and dad and go, hey, I don't care if I go to this movie, it's rated R. That would have been totally stupid on my part. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, um, they got a bow tournament going on Sunday, and uh, you know we're going to go shoot that bow tournament. won't be at church. Not even a consideration. Not even on Wednesday night. I didn't say, hey, you know what, they're having a party this weekend, even though I'm not drinking, I'm going to go hang out with those people. You didn't even consider that foolishness and bring it into the, you know, Randy Reeves home. You didn't do that. If he missed me, my mom probably would have got me. You know why? Because they stood for righteousness. I knew exactly the the lines, and you didn't cross those lines. And even when I was living unrighteously, I wasn't going to cross that line. And you know what? Still got a good relationship with my mom and daddy today. And they should have beat the fire out of me more than they did. Understand that. So here's my question. If you're called to battle, what is God calling you to stand for? There's no lack of opportunity. So give us some examples. You can stand for the gospel. A lot of lost people in and around your life every day. No lack of opportunity to talk to lost people. Maybe God's calling you to show the love of Jesus to somebody who's unlovable. Remember when Jesus talked about his enemies? Our enemies, what did he say? He said, I don't want you to hate your enemies. I want you to pray for them. I want you to love them. I want you to show love to them. I want you to bless them. Maybe God's calling you to stand for truth in a place of compromise. Maybe God's calling you to stand for families. My family's good. Good. Now what about everybody else around you? How are you involved in somebody else's marriage if yours is so great? How are you involved in somebody else's helping, helping them with their kids when your family's all together? Maybe that's why your family's all together so that you can give and you don't have to worry about yours for a little bit. What about marriages? How many of you whose marriage is good are counseling and encouraging somebody's marriage who's falling apart? Ain't that your job, Pastor? Last time I checked, we're all pastors. Last time I checked, we're all part of God's family and we're all called to lead people. What about young people? Man, that's, that's one of my areas. There's so many people. There's young people here today that don't have a clue. I'm not talking about just in the church. There's a lot in the church that don't have a clue. But outside of the church, kids don't have any direction. They don't have any truth. They don't have anybody who loves them. How are you involved in that? And then you go to the big ones, addictions. Man, if you're if you're not involved with somebody who's addicted, then then you, obviously you're staying at home. Abortion, homosexuality. What about elderly people? True religion, pure and undefiled before the Father is this: that you visit the fatherless and widows. What about in the workplace? You know, it just amazes me how, how so many people are not involved. And when you read the scripture about the whole armor of God, we look at it, we think about it, we're like, yeah, I need to read the Bible, pray more. It doesn't say that. God's delivered you so that you can be a part of delivering somebody else. We've got a world that's falling apart, and most of them are chasing after darkness because they've never seen a light. And if we think that we're just going to scathe by because we go to church and we're pretty good old people, and that God's pleased with that, all we're doing is setting the stage for our Pearl Harbor. And it's going to hit us, and it's going to hit our families, and it's going to hit this church, and it's going to hit this nation, and our kids and grandkids are going to pay the bill. And as God's people, we need to rise up. Some of you need to trade your sleeping clothes for your armor. And I'm, and I'm here with the rest of you. To get involved and to get active and raise the 18% to 100%. What would it be like if every person, this is my last thought, what if every person sitting in a Baptist church this morning all over this nation was actually involved? 
They actually each day sought the Lord, studied God's Word, hid it in their heart, spoke it, showed love and concern to their neighbors, was a man or a woman of honor in the workplace. They loved their husbands. They loved their wives. They raised their children for the glory of God. They were a witness of the gospel. They prayed for and loved their enemies. They gave sacrificially. They lived according to God's Word. What kind of difference would that make in this nation? It would make a huge difference. Because we'd be a nation of honor and we'd be a nation, one nation under God again instead of one nation on its way to hell. So let's not put the blame out there. Let's start right here and go, you know what, God? I can't change the world. I can't change the United States. But I can answer the call to get involved in the circle that you've got me in. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Lord loved you, went to war for you, died on a cross to pay for your sins so that you could have grace and mercy, and forgiveness, and God wants to save your soul, and give you life, and He wants to do it because He loves you. I don't care what your past is, what your background is, or what you're involved in. The Bible said He come, He died on the cross, and He wants to wash away your sins. But He don't want to stop there. He's created you, fearfully and wonderfully made for a purpose. And wants to involve you in the greatest work that there is. And God knows we need people who will say, Lord, I will go and I will do whatever you ask of me. Stop making excuses. Stop listening to the devil and get involved. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Lord, I love you and I thank you so much, God, for this group of people. Lord, I don't, I don't know their heart, but I do believe, God, that, that we're a church who strives to, to honor you. Lord, I know there are people here who at one time, Lord, that they was a whole lot more involved. And, and God, there was a, a burning fire in their heart. And Lord, maybe at this point it's not there. And God, I know every one of us go through seasons and times in our life. Lord, start with me. To where we fizz down and we lose our excitement and our love grows cold. And we get distracted and we make excuses. God, I pray that this morning, Lord, not my voice or, or even the message, but God, your, your great love would awaken us, God. It would awaken our hearts. We'd take our eyes off of us and we'd put it on the, the people around us, Lord. I thank you that you save us, that you hold us. God, your word says even though we fall, that you uphold us. So we can rest in the grace you've given us. We can be secure in the salvation that you have offered us through your grace. But God, I pray that we wouldn't rest while other people around us are suffering. While other people around us are in darkness and are ignorant. While other people around us are hurting and we have the very means to change that. God, forgive me where I do that. And I pray, Lord, this morning that, uh, God, we would leave here.